Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering, delivering made-from-scratch hot meals and individual boxed lunches for fast distribution to offices, warehouses, and factories, even on nights and weekends. Details are at grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. Today is Thursday, June 8th. Coming up, in January, Allison Ann Statt learned her daughter Ella May had Batten disease, a rare and terminal illness. There is no cure, and a drug that could help slow the condition costs more than $200,000 a year. Initially, hearing about it is uh, pretty soul-crushing. It was like in a movie, you know, like I literally collapsed and like cried and it, it was awful. We'll hear about the family's efforts to raise money. Plus, Kansas politicians make bold claims about how to stop population decline in rural communities. But Paul Cloutier of Humboldt says his hip enclave in southeastern Kansas can only reverse the trend so much. So we have people who want to move here, but there's just not enough of a demand yet to sort of justify building new houses. We'll hear how these efforts are fighting a national trend of rural population decline. But first, some headlines. Missouri Governor Mike Parson has signed into law two bills that restrict transgender rights. Sarah Kellogg reports. Parson threatened to call a special session over the same issue if those bills did not pass. One of the bills stops transgender minors under 18 from accessing some forms of gender-affirming care like puberty blockers. The other bars transgender athletes from participating on school sports teams that align with their gender identity. However, both bills either partly or entirely expire after four years. That addition was part of compromise language added to stop a Senate Democratic filibuster. Two Missouri officials are in court over a proposed ballot measure that would let voters decide whether to add abortion rights to Missouri's constitution. The Missouri ACLU and state auditor Scott Fitzpatrick sued Attorney General Andrew Bailey because Bailey refused to sign off on a fiscal note that Fitzpatrick wrote, certifying that the ballot measure wouldn't cost the government anything. In order for initiative petitions to make it to the ballot, the state auditor must create a fiscal note estimating the cost. But now that the note has been delayed, supporters of the measure can't begin the next step in the process, which is collecting signatures to get the issue on the 2024 ballot. Cole County Judge John Beatham has not yet issued a ruling. The Kansas City Council is one step closer to putting a year-long moratorium on approving any new landfill. KCUR's Salisa Kalakal reports the council will vote on the ordinance today. Talk of a potential landfill in South Kansas City has caused outcry from neighboring cities and prompted officials to evaluate Kansas City's trash needs. Opponents of a landfill say it would be too close to schools and homes and would have a negative environmental impact. A proposed ordinance would prevent any permits related to a proposed landfill or solid waste facility until June 1, 2024. City Manager Brian Platt is currently studying the city's trash needs and alternative solutions to a landfill. He's scheduled to present those findings to the City Council in September. We'll be back after this. It's Friday night. What places are you heading to for post-work happy hour? Tell us, this podcast is making a best of the best list and needs recommendation for happy hour menus at restaurants in KC. Text us at 816-601-4777. That's 816-601-4777. Standard texting rates apply. Early this year, a Parkville family learned their eight-year-old daughter had a rare disease with a difficult prognosis. There's no cure, and the recommended treatment costs more than $200,000 a year. KCUR's Noah Taborda brings us their story. 
Jump to the left, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jump to the right. Ella Mae yeah, Anstat loves yeah. gymnastics, yeah. going on road trips with her family, and Disney princesses. She likes to spend summer near the water, whether it's swimming at the pool or fishing nearby. If you passed Ella Mae on the street, you'd never think she had a rare and terminal disease. But in early 2022, her parents Allison and Ryan noticed she was holding books close to her face while reading. And later that year, her second grade teacher sent home reports of behavioral issues. The optometrist told them she had macular degeneration in her eyes, an issue that usually affects the elderly. Specialists at Children's Mercy Hospital recommended genetic testing. In January, the test results told the Anstat family that LMA had CLN3 Batten disease, a condition so rare it didn't show up on a genetic panel when Allison was pregnant. Initially, hearing about it is uh, pretty soul-crushing. It was like in a movie, you know, like I literally collapsed and like, cried and it, it was awful. The human body is made up of cells that come together to form different tissues and organs. Those cells have waste. But in kids with Batten disease, it's like the body's recycling center can't convert that extra waste. Major symptoms include seizures and progressive vision loss leading to blindness. Other symptoms vary from person to person, but include trouble standing, walking, and talking, poor concentration, and progressive loss of language skills. Most children eventually become bedridden and cannot communicate. It's estimated that there are only 14,000 cases of Batten disease worldwide. Bonnie Sullivan is a clinical geneticist at Children's Mercy Hospital in Kansas City. Because it's a genetic condition, we can't go into the DNA and change the genetic code to make that disease go away. Lots of people are working on different therapeutic options for that, but we're not there yet. Sullivan says there are therapies that may help people retain function for as long as possible but those with the CLN3 variety usually do not live beyond their 20s. Ella May's diagnosis was a devastating blow. Immediately, her parents began to research any medical options available. The family was told about a drug called Miglostat, which is currently prescribed for other genetic diseases. Right now, Miglostat is in the second phase of clinical trials to treat Batten disease and is showing promise in slowing, and in a few cases, stopping degeneration. But there is one big problem. Since Miglostat is not yet FDA-approved for use in treating the rare condition, insurance won't cover it. So it's just this constant denial process. And then, you know, I was just like, okay, let's just pay for it out of pocket, not really realizing the cost of it all. Miglostat costs about $20,000 a month. With no timeline for when the drug could get the green light, the family pivoted to fundraising. First, they started a GoFundMe with a little under $37,000 donated thus far. In April, they held a fundraiser in Leavenworth featuring a barbecue dinner with a raffle and auction. There, they raised about $55,000. The family also has a 5K event planned on June 24th in Parkville and a poker tournament in Kansas City in July. Ryan Anstett says they're getting help from local organizations. We're not fundraisers. It's not been something that we normally do, but we're going to need a lot of help figuring out how to navigate that path. The family is hoping to bank enough money to pay for a year's supply before starting treatment, as Miglostat would be a lifelong commitment. Ella May is now legally blind. With the vision she has left, Allison and Ryan want to imprint as many memories as they can. So far, they've gone to the beach to swim with dolphins, visited grandparents, and they even went to Disney World, where Ella May got to dress up as a princess and ride in a carriage. You could tell by her face she really felt like, I'm a princess. In fact, one time she asked us, why does everybody keep calling me princess? And I said, well, because you're at Disney and you are a princess. 
In the meantime, the little things are helping keep their spirits up, like messages of support from their neighbors or home-cooked meals from friends and family. The Anstets say these acts of kindness give them the strength they need to keep raising money. For KCUR 89.3, I'm Noah Taborda. Politicians have long promised one policy or another could stem the population loss that's defined rural Kansas for decades. But Dylan Lyson of the Kansas News Service reports the forces making small towns even smaller still persist. In 2014, when he was the governor of Kansas, Sam Brownback made the bold prediction that the state would soon reach a new population milestone. In fact, by the end of this decade, for the first time in our history, Kansas population will surpass three million people. Three years after the date he predicted, Kansas is still waiting for that three millionth Kansan. U.S. Census figures show Kansas has a population of 2.93 million people in 2020. That's an increase of just 85,000 residents in a decade. The population in the Kansas City and Wichita areas continues fairly steadily, and some population is consolidating in smaller cities. But rural Kansas? With the rarest of exceptions, it keeps dropping off. Meanwhile, some Kansans are trying to staunch the seemingly endless bleeding. So this is a honeybee muncher. It's a small breakfast and lunch place here in Humboldt, Kansas. That's Paul Cloutier. He's part of a group that's helped bring a little bit of hip to Humboldt, a town of just under 2,000 in Allen County in southeastern Kansas. New York. It has this vibrant, kind of creative, bright, urban energy in a small town that you'd never really expect to see something like this here. The restaurant is one of several projects the group helped launch to make Humboldt a more happening place. The town also has a new brewery, a new campground, and a new coffee shop. And now, after losing more than 6% of its population in the last decade, census numbers project actual growth in Allen County. There was a sense that, let's make the town that we want to live in. But Humboldt may only be able to grow so much. For starters, it's got a housing shortage. And construction prices run higher in rural areas than cities and suburbs. So we have people who want to move here, but there's just not enough of a demand yet to sort of justify building new houses. Kansas has invested hundreds of millions of dollars in housing for rural areas in recent years. It also tempts people to move to smaller towns by forgiving student loan debt. Now it's mostly teachers and healthcare workers tapping into that subsidy, but it may soon include people in other jobs, like home builders. The state hopes that might keep young people closer to home and draw more people to smaller towns. So with all of these efforts, why has Kansas still not reached Brownback's projection? Republican state lawmakers this year argued people are leaving Kansas because of their taxes. Senator Mike Thompson said that when he proposed cutting taxes on all retirement income. The cost of living here keeps going up, and so we're attempting to help them and help retain them in the state. Democratic Governor Laura Kelly, meanwhile, says new laws restricting transgender rights scare away businesses and new residents. But Ken Johnson, a demographer at the University of New Hampshire, suggests the exodus from small-town America has proven largely immune to generations of such efforts. The reality is that young people like to move to larger cities. So many rural counties, especially rural farm counties, of which there are a number in Kansas, typically are more likely to lose young adults than anyone else. Between 2010 and 2020, rural America didn't just grow slower than the rest of the country. For the first time, it actually shrunk. Rural areas mostly rely on births rather than incoming migration to grow. But they are losing young people they produce to metro areas. And for all sorts of reasons, like going to college and finding better jobs. That leaves rural areas with fewer childbearing adults and more elderly people. 
So that combination produces natural decrease, especially when the birth rates are low like they are now. So while some hip rural enclaves like Humboldt create ways to survive and even thrive, the vast majority of rural Kansas hasn't yet figured out how to keep pace. For the Kansas News Service, I'm Dylan Lyson in Overland Park. KCUR's Kansas News Service reports on health, the many factors that influence it, and their connection to public policy. Find more at ksnewsservice.org. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This podcast is produced by Paris Norvell, Byron Love, and KCUR Studios. It's edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To read Noah's story on the Anstat family and Dylan's story on rural towns, visit kcur.org, where you can find more local news from Kansas City's NPR station. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow. 